Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, I'm joined by former lead star and part of the Optus Sport Furniture, Michael Bridges, as well as Charlie Eccleshare from The Athletic, a man who has an intimate knowledge of the Premier League, in particular, Tottenham Hotspur, so you better believe we'll give him the tough questions. I'm Phil Kittramalides, and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Optus Sport Football Podcast for the 23-24 season. Joining me, Phil Kittramalides, I'm a Spurs fan by the way, this week is Michael Bridges, another Tottenham Hotspur fan, who also played a couple of games in the uh, top flight. Hello Michael. Uh, great to have us on. Thank you very much. Looking forward to this, especially if we're going to be speaking about Ange Postacoglu and Spurs. We certainly are. I, th- I think it's a good week for us to get really deep inside uh, inside what's going on at, uh, at Tottenham with uh, Ange Postecoglou. Also on the pod today is uh, English football journalist Charlie Eccleshare. Today our resident Tottenham Hotspur expert. <laughs> this should be quite spursy today, which of course means we'll sound great for a lot, but ultimately come to nothing. <laughs> that sounds good thanks for having me on Phil those aren't my words Charlie those are the words of the producer I'm reading those I would never say something like that you must have read my mind as well <laughs> yes I know I know uh, thanks for joining us Charlie listen like I said we're going to talk quite a lot about Tottenham and, and what happened in the Premier League this weekend but before we get into those um, those stories I think it's only right that I point out after that uh, epic Women's World Cup final last night, we've got two, two English guys on the podcast and me, a Spanish resident. I live in Spain, so I was watching it yesterday and, and pretty intrigued. And, and before we talk about the, the game and the tournament, I just want to say, and this is a little bit self-congratulatory and I'm going off the script here a bit, but well done to Optus Sport for the coverage because I was watching from afar from Spain. Jealous, genuinely jealous, because the coverage here in Spain has been minimal. Yesterday, Spanish TV had one TV reporter in the stadium. The commentators were commentating from a studio here in Spain. It was really, really poor. So watching the level of coverage and, and just how well it was done by, uh, by Optus Sport, guys, well, well done. Pat on the back. Um, but the actual tournament itself, it feels like not a watershed moment, but it does feel like this tournament just took it to the next level. Right, Charlie? Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, I think there have been a few full storms before, but um, certainly from... I mean, I was in Australia when the tournament was starting, though. I was in Perth with uh, the Tottenham team, but it definitely felt from what from people who were there, uh, where the games were, there was a real buzz and excitement. And obviously here in England, there's been that because of uh, because the Lioness is doing so well. So yeah, just hopefully they can build on it. And, and that does feel like something that's been happening for the last year or two, that its profile, certainly in this country, is really, really getting a lot bigger. 
Yeah, I've got to agree there. I mean, they coming coming back to to the UK last year after the after the women won the Euros uh, and the Lionesses. It's been absolutely a special moment, and to see the journey that they've they've had during this World Cup as well as everybody's getting so excited when Germany went out, the USA went out, and to get to a final, uh, it was just bitterly disappointing. But at the end of the day, I just when you look at all the stats and the game. The, it was all in favour of the Spanish. I thought the, the performance that they put on was absolutely magic. And when you have a look at the, the goalkeeping stats, you know, Mary Earps, she, her stats were incredible. It hadn't been for her, it could have been so much more. So the Lionesses can still hold their heads very, very high. Like you say, it was, it, it was lovely to see from over here as well, having lived in Australia for 13 years, knowing how hard it has been to try and get football or soccer on the map over there on a, in the public eye. You know, the Socceroos had success in the past. The Matildas, what they have done, the fan base, I've just been blown away by the stadiums and how many tickets have been sold. And in just watching it from afar, I'm absolutely gutted that I didn't get back to come and be part of the, the celebrations. But it was great because even everybody that I've spoke to over here in England was saying the coverage has been incredible. But my word, haven't the population in Australia embraced it? And I'm just hoping now that the, the momentum that the, you know, the Matildas have generated and the World Cup itself continues and we see a lot of, I'd like to say a lot of them politicians that have been going to these games from the regions investing in football um, as much as they do in the other sports. That's that's the biggest thing to come from it. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we leave a legacy in the country. Yeah, getting politicians to put their money where their mouth is isn't necessarily the easiest thing. But no. let's see if there is some kind of uh, some kind of uh, legacy. Just in, in in Spain, I've got to say. That hopefully this also helps uh, things uh, grow here. Uh, we do have a, a professional uh, women's football league. It just started a couple of years ago, so let's see if this uh, momentum helps that grow. I've got the celebrations, by the way, tonight, just uh, about half a mile down the road from my house. So I'm I'm not <laughs> planning on sleeping much because I think it's going to be uh, quite loud. They've definitely been embraced. Uh, so enhorabuena campeonas, well done to the uh, world champions, uh, world champions Spain, and and worthy winners as well. I saw a tweet yes. yesterday saying this is this is. This this is pretty much like every England-Spain game I've ever seen. Uh, and it was a, a little bit like that, um, Spain dominating the possession and, and being a bit more clinical. Right, let's get, to the, um, let's get to the Premier League and we'll start in North London where Ange Postecoglou got his first league win as Spurs manager. Uh, it, it felt like a special occasion at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, on, the, uh, on the preview podcast we did a couple of weeks ago, I told Mark Schwarzer, who's not here today because he, um, he can't read his uh, airplane itinerary. But anyway, Mark, hopefully he'll be back uh, next week. But I told, him, I told him a couple of weeks ago that the best thing about Spurs at the moment, the best thing that Spurs have got going for them is Ange Postecoglou and, and what he brings to the side. And, and Charlie, yesterday, the atmosphere, I mean, we'll talk about the game in their 2-0 win over Manchester United, but the atmosphere there seemed genuinely special. And how much is that down to Ange? I think a lot of that is down to Ange. I mean, bear in mind the last few years under Mourinho and Conte, the fans got very disillusioned. The football wasn't great. There was no real connection with either manager. Uh, Postecoglou's come in and... He's just such a breath of fresh air. He says all the right things. He does all the right things. He's got the team playing in a way the team that the fans really believe in, that they feel is how Spurs should play. And it did just feel different even before the game. Um, and last week as well, they drew 2-2 at Brentford. 
And the support was great. And there just felt like a connection between the players and the manager and the fans in a way that hasn't been for so long. And then just before the game, you could feel the excitement building. And it was the best atmosphere. I mean, I... I definitely felt it was the best atmosphere since they beat Arsenal in May 2022. Some people felt it was the best atmosphere at any game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium since they moved in in April 2019. So it was really, really special. And loads of that is down to Postacoglu. He he, he got serenaded by the fans 10 minutes into the game at Brentford. He's just an instant hero. Um, they love him. They really love him. It's because they've seen Ange ball. That's what the fans have seen um, against Brentford. It was just total you know, domination of the football, the possession in the right areas of the field. And I, I was so excited. So I, I've been a massive follower of Ange for so many years, having, having coached over in Australia, seeing what he's done for the national team, saw what he did at Brisbane Row, where we, he made big decisions and getting rid of some of the old guards that weren't willing to put in the yards that Ange was after. And he, he, he was happy making the tough decisions. Now, when you go to the J-League and you win it in your first season, I was speaking to, I've said this before on other, on other shows, on other podcasts that we've done in the past, obviously you guys hadn't heard it, I was trying to get Ange to Sunderland Football Club or Leeds United as the manager. And it was so interesting to hear how many people say that they'd never heard of the guy because he'd been in Asia doing things or he, he, they didn't think he would have the the pedigree to do it. And I've been, I was so gutted. I was looking for somebody to replace Bielsa at Leeds with a similar style of play, but with a man management skill that goes with it. Um, he missed out at Sunderland with Coleman. That was close there. And I was just delighted when he got the Celtic job. Now, I got loads of mates saying, oh, God, who's this guy? What's he going to do? And I remember saying, texting my mates saying, you guys will win everything under this man. He will have your club up and running once again. Uh, and I was you know, absolutely delighted to see him do, do so well. And then when there was talk of him going to Spurs, I was up there with the treble when they won the treble. I'd gone up to see Harry Kuehl. Um, who's obviously been there with Ange as assistant. I was there for the, the treble winning celebration afterwards and I was sit, standing with Ange and I looked at him and I said, is the rumours true? What's happening? He said, Michael, just let me enjoy tonight, please. And, I, and there, was a little, <laughs> there was a little smile on his face and I walked away very happy, not only for the treble win, but I knew at that moment he was going to be Spurs manager within 48 hours um, because of just the way he looked and he, he loves a challenge. And I'm so happy because what we have seen so far has been absolutely magnificent, and like like you said, Charlie, the the atmosphere around the around the the ground with the fans, but not only that, the, you can see the players they seem to be embracing the style of football that the fans have been starved of under these previous managers. It's been so defensive units, whereas this football is, is a joy to watch. It's really interesting, Michael, as well. You say there about um, you know him not getting previous jobs. We we had a sit down with him in Perth, and he was talking about that how he would. His agent would say to him, you know, you've got to meet with club executives and things like this. And, and you know what he's like. He doesn't like schmoozing and any of that. Yeah, but he yeah. sort of reluctantly did it. This was a few years ago. And he said a lot of them just hadn't heard of him. A yeah. lot of senior club execs gave the impression they had no idea who he was. Didn't really have any time for him. And he said it was like being a, a sort of struggling actor in Hollywood, going for auditions yeah. and not getting callbacks and anything like this. Yeah. And it's just so amazing that he's then, you know, he put the hard yards in. But he's 57. Yeah. He has not had an easy route to the top. And I think a lot of that is because of his nationality, quite frankly. You know, yeah. I think the fact that he's Australian and, you know, he's the first Australian to manage in the Premier League. It's just, it, it's not something that's happened before and I think that counted against him and he's so he said something really interesting he was like he just wants it's not even just about Australians it's that he wants managers going forward not to be judged on where they're from or anything like that 
just on their merits and he's belatedly getting the opportunity yeah. and it is it's great to see because he has com- he's look let's not get carried away because you know they're not going to win every game there are going to be bumps in the road but just in terms of the atmosphere and the feel at the club and the way yeah. they're playing I can't believe the transformation in such a short space of time the other thing that's special about Ange, you know, he's, he's, he's not scared of um, giving people an opportunity. Um, that you know, he's, he's given Muskie mm. an opportunity in the past. Kevin's now uh, Marinos manager. He's given Pete Klamowski a go, and look where Pete, Pete's gone as well. He took Harry Kuehl under his wing. He's taken uh, Mila Yednak under his, under his wing at, at Tottenham yeah. as well. He, he doesn't feel threatened by giving people opportunities. I know so many managers in the past that I've worked under that have felt very threatened of giving an ex-player an opportunity, thinking, oh, well, hang on, they might, they might have an affiliation with the fans here this could do me uh, no favours whatsoever he's not bothered by that he loves to embrace that opportunity um, which I think is just in itself uh, credit to the man that he is uh, it feels like a good fit then, Ange and Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and uh, some of the uh, older Spurs fans uh, amongst us, um, maybe me and Bridgie, maybe not Charlie so much, but we'll remember the phrase, the game is about glory. That's what Spurs is all about. The game is about glory. And yesterday, that, that, that game against Manchester United, it was, a, it was a glorious win for Tottenham. They managed to keep a clean sheet, which seemed extremely <laughs> unlikely. And let's be realistic. Let's be real. This game could easily have finished yeah. 4-3. Yeah. to, to, to the team. It was a it was a terrific advert for the Premier League. It was played at a tremendous pace. And I have to say, I'm based in Spain. I watch a lot of Spanish football. And when I switch over and watch a game like this, it feels like someone is pressing the fast forward button because it was played mm. at an <laughs> unbelievable pace. And in that first half, Manchester United had chances, really quite good chances, particularly Bruno Fernandes, his, his header. Um, on another day, Charlie, we could have been here talking about Spurs losing this game because Manchester United <laughs> did, did have chances. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I don't think anyone's kidding themselves and pretending that, you know, this was a dominant win where and and, and yeah, I still can't believe they kept a clean sheet, both with the personnel. I mean they played there's new doggy and Pedro Porro, two hugely attacking fullbacks. Um and yeah, when I saw that team sheet I thought this is gonna be really fun. You know, this could be a three two or something like this. I think that was the general feel. But I think the big difference is that they've had two managers previous well, three if you include Nuno, his period was so short, but they've had managers where basically it's just all been about results. You either win but you you don't necessarily do it playing especially well or you have a bad result. And it, it's just and, and that makes you really edgy in the crowd, I think, because you're aware that your enjoyment or your satisfaction of the day is just results based. Whereas I do think even if even if Spurs had drawn this game 2-2, even if they'd lost it 3-2, I think there'd still have been a sense of, okay, but we can see what we're trying to do here. You know, we're playing with inverted fullbacks, we're trying to play out, we're trying to attack teams, we're trying to be the protagonist. So I think it still wouldn't have felt like some of those dreary defeats under Mourinho and Conte. I don't um, know what you're on about, Charlie. So, it was yeah, never any know, of them. They- <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but um yeah so I, I yeah I just think that it totally could have gone either way and look there were gonna we were warned before everyone I spoke to all sort of Ange experts said to me you know give it time because he started slowly at Celtic started slowly in Japan but he'll get there so we were all kind of braced for that especially with the Harry Kane thing you know they lost the best player in their modern history a week before this United game so I think Everyone has braced themselves for that. And that still might come. They might go and struggle at Bournemouth and or at Burnley in their next two games. But we can see what they're trying to do. And that in itself is, is a really good start. 
I'm just going to say that off, off the back of that, you, you know, when things happen for a reason, you've, you've mentioned the chance. I mean, the, there was 22 shots for, for Man United against 17 to, to Spurs. There was six shots on target each. Now, the, the headers on another day, like you say, could have been for Manchester United with Rashford mm. and with Fernandes. The, how they've missed, I don't know. And then the crossbars come come to the, you know, come in, in handy as well. Things happen for a reason, the momentum, you know, but it, it could have been completely different. But what you were saying there about the fans, they would have been leaving going, I tell you what, this is value for money. This is what we want to see. Yeah. And that, that gives managers an extra long time, especially what we have been, you know, suffocated from that Spurs fans want to see. And I think there's a lot of the players, what you'll find um, under Ange, you've got to have energy levels. You've got to have the recovery in high intensity runs. And, and that's what I think, you know, and, and everybody wants to be part of this. That's when, when the players see a manager and you win them over with your style of play. I've, I've had a lot of clubs over the years, lads. There's been managers where you go, oh, I can't wait. This training session's fantastic. I see where we're going with this. And then there's been other ones where I've been an attacker and you've been thinking, am I ever going to see the ball here? Because all, it, it, you know, we're just looking at the defensive side of the game here. And you're thinking, oh, you know, you'll put the extra yards in for the team, that, for the manager and the style of play. And that's what you're going to see these lads. They'll be fighting for their places because you want to be part of this, this formula that he is creating and this style of play. And that, for me, is very exciting in itself. Uh, Charlie, you mentioned the uh, the elephant in the room, and that is that Spurs have sold arguably one of their best players of all time in, in Harry Kane. And, and he's gone, and not only have they lost an unbelievable goal scorer, but I'm reminded of a phrase that, that Kareem Benzema would say, that he said, I'm a number nine with the soul of a 10. Uh, and Harry Kane is definitely a number nine, but he also did so many things that a number 10 did as well. And they've lost him and they've lost his goals and they've lost his creativity and they've not replaced him yet. And it's very difficult to replace someone like Harry Kane. I'll ask you in a minute if, um, if they are going to go into the transfer market and try and get someone before the end of, uh, of, of August. But before that, just your, your thoughts on how Tottenham set up yesterday. There's been no goals scored by an attacking player so far this season. Four scored, uh, two defenders, an own goal, and, and, and Pape Sar um, scoring yesterday. Uh, so how they set up yesterday in terms of trying to, to replace Harry Kane? Yeah, it's, it, it is going to take a bit of time, I think. I mean, so much of Ange's system with those inverted fullbacks is getting the wingers isolated against the opposition fullbacks. And I think what's really going to be huge for Spurs is the extent to which Son and Kudusevsky can rediscover their best form because they were both sensational at the back end of the 21-22 season, but then last season both struggled. Um, and I think at the start of this season, you've seen two players who are slightly trying to get back to where they were. In Kudusevsky's case, I don't think he, he quite has that confidence just yet. There were a few times in the first half where Spurs did exactly what they wanted to do, where they got him one-on-one. -on -one. He was running at Lissandro Martinez or Luke Shaw. And he didn't quite have the beating of either of them. That said, at the start of the second half, United weirdly left him in tons of space and he was able to burst into the box um, and set up the first goal. Son as well, I think he had his moments, definitely. Um, but that's kind of where the system, that's what the system's trying to do, is get those wide players one-on-one -on -one against opposition fullbacks and then often set up chances for the opposite winger coming in. Then there's obviously the question of Richarlison, um, who is very, very different from Harry Kane. And, you know, I was speaking to people at halftime and it can be hard at this point not to sometimes think, oh, if only that had been Harry Kane, whether that's a chance or even something like uh, how well he protects the ball. 
United had a chance just after Spurs scored, Anthony hit the post and that came from Richarlison not being able to keep hold of the ball. Lissandro Martinez came in and nicked it. And something Harry Kane was amazing at, one of many things, was protecting the ball and often winning a foul. He was, I mean, Michael, you you probably know about this art that some strikers have. I mean, it was incredible watching him. He would just his ability to win fouls was, just, and it's such an important skill. Yeah. But what it does, or he'd it gives, hold it off and play a part. It gives you a backline of relief when you, it, it, you know, you. I call exactly, it player. Yeah. There's not many players these days can play with their back to goal, as I call it, the attacking goal. And Harry Kane is one of them special players. In that moment that you said there about mm. Richarlison, Richarlison, he was knocked off the ball too easy. Harry would have used his body so well there and got side on mm. and taken, taken the impact when Martinez um, would come through. Alan Shearer was a genius at it. Did he a Drogba? Um, and, and mm. Richarlison hasn't got that. He's great going the opposite way, but the hold-up play doesn't give you enough of a breather when you're under a little bit of cosh and you need that little 30-second break. Kane would go down, and I'm not saying he would he would feign it, but he was just very, very smart. It's called, you know, it's, it's gamesmanship, and he would protect it, and that gives the defence time to move up the field, and then you play from there. So I agree that moment. That's, what he's, that's the difference that we are going to lack. Exactly, yeah. And so I think, like, you know, and hopefully these are things that he'll learn... Um... I know he was frustrated, Richarlison, as well. You know, he really, he desperately wants a goal. He's only scored one Premier League goal for Spurs. Um, he got two in the Champions League. But, I mean, the goals just haven't come. I mean, everyone is of the view that he just needs, you know, that football cliche, he just needs one to go in and then they'll follow. Um, which I can sort of see. I do think he's that kind of player. He needs to be loved. And I think once he gets one or two and he feels that warmth and affection from the crowd, I think that will really spur him on. But until he does start scoring, there are going to be those question marks. Do they need to bring someone else in? Um, and I do think they look a bit thin, just depth-wise. I think they've got a lot of depth defensively in the midfield. But against Brentford, for instance, in that first game, they were drawing 2-2. It looked like the game was there to be won for them. And really, they only had Manuel Solomon to bring on Perisic as well. But he's... He's, you know, he he's not a sort of thrilling attacking player. He's he's a good solid winger or a wing back. But yeah, I do think they're short one or two there. Come on then, Phil. You're the you're the you're the Spurs fan. Who do you want, who would you like to see coming in that that number nine shirt? I think it's very very difficult. It's very difficult to try and replace someone like Harry Kane. And centre forwards are you know really at a premium in the in the market. Um, we saw yesterday in the second half that when Richarlison went off, Son played a bit more centrally, and yeah. that could be an, that could be an option that we might see a bit more. But it's it's not one that necessarily that necessarily thrills me. I'm getting the feeling when I was hearing Charlie speaking. I'm getting the feeling, and it's something that I do not want to feel. Charlie, that Spurs aren't actually going to sign anyone. That's a feel I got as well. Um, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know about that. I think they they definitely um, they're, they're they're aware that they're they are a sort of a player short in that front line. Whether that will be an out and out striker, that I think is still being worked out. You know, it could be someone like Brennan Johnson who could come in and compete with Kulusevski out on the right. Um, Gift Orban is what is someone who. I've had mentioned to me, uh, and I think that the question there is, you know, he, he's been sensational, but his output, you know, that's obviously in a very different league from the Premier League, and it's all about judging can someone step up. Um, but I do, I do think another another player would be extremely useful just for the competition element. You know, you look at the teams they're going to be competing with if they want to get into the Champions League. Most of those teams, it's not about just having you know one good forward or one good winger or whatever it's having a sort of stable of five or six forwards many of whom can rotate into different positions because you're going to have games where 
one, you know, Son or Kulisevsky or both are going to struggle. Okay, well then who can you bring on to then really test the defence? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not overly delighted with that answer, but okay, let's see. Let's see. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting I was expecting something a bit more definitive, but okay, fair enough, fair enough. We'll see we'll see what happens. Um I don't think they need to sign anyone in midfield. And the midfield yesterday looked really quite impressive. Yeah. Uh Yves and, and Saar looking like wonderful players, uh, both of whom let's suggest that they weren't necessarily at the heart of Spurs' midfield last season, but it feels like those two, with James Madison pulling the strings ahead of him, that's a, that's a midfield trio that we can all get behind. Yeah, it's exciting. And that's what I'm saying. It's it's the legs and the energy levels that you need to be able to play under Ange Postecoglou, but also the ball retention of playing out and the you know the, the, the dynamic movements that go with that. And what it also shows to the rest of the squad that everybody has been off the f- a fresh slate and a fresh start and I'm just coming with this idea and who's going to embrace it the most, who's going to be able to learn and, and obviously the, the players that have been given the, the responsibility um, or players that we would probably not have thought of starting um, and being inside Ange's squad if you'd have said what would the team be at the start of the season. Madison, yes, but um, Basuma is an absolute changed man and he's looked absolutely incredible. I don't know where he's been hiding um, or where his performances have been. Uh, and another man you mentioned um, with, with Saw who got the goal, the, who scored his first goal. I mean, the, the technique and the desire that he showed to get from the edge of the area and the anticipation to see the ball. That ball was bouncing in front of him, could have easily gone over the bar, but the timing of the run, the, the, it just showed you how much he wanted that. Um, and I think that that's what Ange has brought to this football club. Everybody's got a fresh lay and they're fighting for their shirt, and it, and it was great to watch. Yeah, he. I mean, Pap Sarr is such an exciting young talent, um, and this is someone who, this is only his third Premier League start, and his previous two were real, like, lamb to the slaughter stuff i mean his first one was the north london derby <laughs> where he was it was him and hoybier obviously outnumbered as spurs were outnumbered in every single premier league game last season basically in midfield because of their system and then he played in that 6-1 mauling at newcastle um so you know he's had a pretty tough introduction to life in the premier league and it was so gratifying to see him playing so well especially i inter- i had a one-on-one interview with him while they were on the tour and was really excited after speaking to him because he just seemed very switched on and mature for someone so young. And that's something that's really struck people at Tottenham. You know, the guy's only 20, but he just takes it all in his stride. He's one of these people who every time the bar is raised, he just seems to quite comfortably clear it. And I think as well, like it was such a telling change from Postacoglu because they drew 2-2 with Brentford. That's a good, that's a good result. You know, Brentford are really hard to beat at home. I think the assumption was we'll probably keep the same team. You know, there's no reason to change it. And Oli Skip is a very, very solid performer. He's a manager's dream. He's got, he will do, he will, he will listen. He will carry out a manager's instructions. And I thought United at home, yeah, you know, why, why not stick with that? But he put Saar in and he was absolutely superb. And yeah, Basuma, I mean... He was one that lasted because when they signed him, I was so excited because whenever I'd watched him at Brighton, I thought someone is going to get this guy and they are going to be very, very lucky because he's sensational. And it didn't happen for him under Conte. Um, who knows why? I mean, Conte spoke about him not fully understanding the tactical instructions and this sort of thing. And I mean, look, he, he's been absolutely outstanding. Man of the match, both games. And and that role is so important in the Ange system. That that deep line midfielder, you've you've almost got to do the job of two players. 
Um, and he's doing that. What you just said there, Charlie, with Conte, he's actually shot himself in the foot because he's saying, oh, he doesn't retain instructions in the tactics. That that means that Conte and his staff have not been able to get that message across because what he's basically shown is, if you're giving us the right information, I'm, 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 t- I'm taking it in, whether it's through footage, whether it's sitting down one-on-one, whether it's going through walk-through shadow play, as we call it, in, in game patterns of play. Ange and his staff have obviously got that spot on because this player has shown that when you give me the instructions correctly, I'm going to be able to go out and do mm-hmm. that game plan. So, you know, Conte is, that is again reassuring to think that we have finally got rid of somebody like that and we've got somebody in that can get his message across to the players. A self-own, as the kids call it, I think. <laughs> Uh, this is the uh, Opta Sport Football Podcast. It is not an official Tottenham Hotspur uh, podcast, so maybe we should move on and discuss other topics, despite uh, me happy to speak about Spurs all day. I mean, we should mention the other team that was playing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this weekend, which was Manchester United. And I thought, you know, first half an hour, they were you know, con- considerably better than, 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 than Spurs. And then in the second half... They fell apart. It was it was really quite striking. Yeah. Well, what I, what I will say on that one, yes, they were. I thought the you know the Bruno Fernandez reverse passing for Rashford, the, the the header, Fernandez headed miss. But there was a big moment in this game, and it was Romero the handball that we, you know we we got away with. I, mm. I, I'm sorry, lads. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to dwell on that, but yeah. yeah but you know, but yeah. this is this is the thing. Like you 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 ride your luck now, you know. That for me, I don't know what is a penalty and isn't I mean, a penalty it's these days. A handball, isn't it? It's it's a handball. It's, it's a penalty. A yeah. So you you right. You look. So the Man United fans can feel very very annoyed by that. No doubt about it. So, you know, I hold my hands up there to say that's a penalty. I've really enjoyed being back in the UK and going to watch championship games and first division and second division games where there's been no VAR. It's been so refreshing. Mm. But the Premier League, we have it. We've got it in all the big games. And that moment was a huge point in the game. And I thought Manchester United, like you say, first half, they, they dominated. But found a way. The chances, it could have been so much different. You ride your luck. And then the game completely changed. Half-time, Tottenham have gone in. They've had a chat. They've discussed things. I know how Ange, Ange works. I've seen them operate in the dressing rooms. And they've come out with a different game plan. And you, like you say, you ride your luck, you get it. And we will take the three points. I mean, yeah, United, they do... I just don't know with them. They they do remind me a little bit, not to keep looking at everything through a Spurs prism, but where Spurs were under Conte this time a year ago, um, where they'd sort of, they might win a few games, but it's never for a sort of sustained period. And you just don't really know what you're going to get with them week to week, I feel like. Yeah, I don't know. They, they, they Yeah, they could have won this game, but they could so easily have lost to Wolves. In their first game, so I watched them pre-season, Charlie. I watched I watched um, Manchester United pre-season against Leeds United. They put out a very very strong team in the first half, and the game ended nil nil. And Leeds tried to flip the game around um, and bring on some more experienced players for the second half. And Manchester United completely changed. You know, the first half they had Mount out there, um, Varane was out there, Wambasaka was playing, um, Fred was on the field. There was they had an experienced team out, and the dynamics looked absolutely terrible. There was no, I didn't see anything that I would be fearful of. The second half they brought their under 23s team on. Um, and Manchester United managed to win the game 2-0. They played Leeds United off the park. And it was such a... such a. I, I, I went away scratching my head thinking, what are Manchester United going to do this season? And you know, it's still. I think they're still going to be starting to start and they don't look like they've got their dynamics as yet. 
Uh, pretty stop-start Manchester United, yeah. And um, one victory from their opening uh, two games, two games that they could both easily have uh, lost. Uh, I think Manchester United fans, of which there are many in Australia and indeed around the world, will be uh, not particularly satisfied with how they've started the campaign. Um, we should maybe just briefly touch upon another set of fans that might not be particularly satisfied with how they've started the campaign, and that's, that's Chelsea, who spent all the money this summer, they spent all the money. They've gone out and they've just, they've bought anybody that they wanted, they've got it bought. They're spending ridiculous amounts of, uh, of money. We were discussing last week whether or not Moses Caicedo was, was worth uh, the, uh, the amount of money that they, they spent on him. And I said, well, somebody is worth what somebody is willing to pay. And Chelsea were willing to pay a really quite extortionate amount of money for the, um, for the Ecuadorian. Anyway, they were beaten by West Ham yesterday and they've, only, they, they've had a really poor start to the season and I tipped them for top four just seemingly thinking obviously they're going to be miles better than last season but they seem a little bit all over the place. Yeah I still wouldn't write Chelsea off just yet I mean certainly yesterday like don't get me wrong that was um, yeah that wasn't great I mean to be honest the, the most concerning bit was after uh, West Ham went down to 10 men you know I, th I thought before then that Chelsea were a little bit unfortunate to be behind but after that they just they created so little I do think with Pochettino and especially you no know, Europe with those spare weeks I, th I think it will come together eventually and they are trying to bed in so many new players um, so yeah I, th I think there are going to be it, it may take a little while I think they will get there eventually but yeah I mean God, at the moment, they just look like such a mishmash of players, which I guess is understandable in a way, given how many players they have brought in both this summer and last and how many they've lost as well. I mean, the churn there is just staggering. Well, do you know what was funny yesterday? I came in, I've, I've watched the game downstairs. My son didn't watch the game and I just showed him the stats of the game. I just put up the stats and I said to him, son, what do you reckon the scoreline was here? Because Chelsea had 17 shots to 12. They only had four on target of the six, but the possession 76% against the rest. Passes 716 to 220. And he looked at it and he went, oh, dad, I'm going to say Chelsea have won this game at least two 2-1-2-0 and I showed him the result I said there you go son that is football so I can see what Pochettino was trying to do because the stats reflect what he's all about you know the possession but the possession in the right areas of the field um, is what it's all about so I agree I think Chelsea is building they'll be disgusted with that result but they you know they controlled the game and just couldn't find the back of the net but there's there's better things to come from Chelsea um, over the I still think the culture there is you know how Ange's we've got Tottenham singing off the same hymn book I still think he's got quite a bit of work to do. Um, I still think they are disjointed from the hangover from last season and he's still got a bit of work to do. But this is a team that we're going to see develop throughout the season. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be excited to watch Chelsea this season. I've got to say that because I, I, I do like the players that they have at his disposal and I'm a big fan of Pochettino. So I think he can get something going there. Okay, so it's quite quite encouraging words there for uh, for Chelsea fans. It's not all doom and gloom, although one point from from six. I mean, they're already five points behind Brighton and Man City. It, it, you know, you, you drop these points at the start of the season, it's the same as dropping them in the midway point. It kind of feels in the back of our heads that oh well, you know, it's the start of the season. They're just getting to well, yeah, but you're you're not picking up those points, so um, it's going to be tight for top four. If they don't get a result against Luton, then I'll completely revert and say I was totally wrong. <laughs> that's a that's a big that that can be a big boost for them um, next, next week against Luton. 
Absolutely. Okay. Um, do you want to have a quick word about uh, Newcastle, seeing as uh, you're uh, um, from the fr fr from the northeast? We know that you're not a, a Newcastle fan. We've we've touched upon who you support extensively, but uh, Newcastle beaten one 0 by uh, by Manchester City is that a little bit of a deflating result for Newcastle, given how they started the uh, the season with that massive win? And and Eddie Howe was talking about dreaming of challenging for the title. Well, I've, I'm living in the northeast again. I'm in the Newcastle region. The the buzz around this city and the town is absolutely incredible um, for the last year and a bit since um, the Champions League the last season's run getting into the Champions League the new documentaries out about the about the team um, so it's an incredible vibe I mean everybody in the North East basically has Newcastle or Sunderland to, to cheer on so if the if the teams are doing bad you can feel not, like they, not you Michael not you, you no not me not me I've, I've, I've played for both but I've got to be very diplomatic but it's you know the, the vibe is when the both teams are doing well Sunderland have got themselves back into the Championship and Newcastle are flying high it, the first match against Aston Villa set the tone it was an incredible performance I was doing the core commentary for that game and they were a joy to watch because I did not think that they would turn Aston Villa over that easily and I'm, I'm thinking can they can Newcastle emulate what they did last season and after that first game yes now you go to Manchester City there's no better time to play Manchester City after a Super Cup that they had, the travel that they had had, and I'm thinking this could be a huge moment for Newcastle to get back-to-back -back wins and challenge. And sadly, um, they you know they couldn't find a, couldn't find a way. City just controlled the game at their pace, dictated play, and I, I think it was just a little bit of a, a, a wake-up call. But one nil. At Manchester City's ground, um, you've got to say that it's not a bad result. They'd, they'd never really, what I will say about Eddie Howe's team, they never really looked threatened and carved open in that match apart from that one movement. It was the only time in the game I saw Botman go out of position to try and double-team Phil Foden alongside Dan Byrne. And they, as soon as that gap became available, Alvarez was straight into it and Manchester City found him. So that just shows the, the quality. When you make one mistake in a game, like you lose your shape against the, probably the world-class team, you're going to get hurt. And that's one thing that Eddie Howe will learn from. But apart from that, it was a very, very... Uh, the Newcastle fans were delighted with the performance. Uh, not the result that they wanted, but can see the, the momentum coming. So um, I can see Newcastle having a very, very good season. And I think we may see one more... One more signing coming, um, obviously in the window, um, and maybe before the Liverpool game, hopefully. Okay, it felt like you might have some exclusive information there for us, uh, Michael, about potential Newcastle signings, but uh, I won't. I won't push you. Here. No, no, I was wait I was wondering what the delay was there. No, there's no inside information. There's just, um, yeah, there could, there could be one, just a one feeling. more. Just, just a, a feeling, feeling that I've got a feeling. I'll hopefully reveal something next week if I'm back oh, on the pod. Okay. All right, we can go with that. Michael Bridges has a feeling, exclusive, that there might be, there might be a signing. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll work with that. We're going to go to a uh, break, but when we come back, we're wrapping up what happened. The top stories uh, from Spain in La Liga this weekend. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Time for us to turn our attention to La Liga and what happened in the top flight of Spanish football. The headlines, well, Barcelona got their first win of the season, uh, winning 2-0 at home to Cadiz. They didn't play at the Camp now because they're not playing at the Camp now this season while it's being renovated. They're at the Olympic Stadium and it was their first game there. There were 39,000 people there. More people went to watch Sunderland, Michael, this weekend than went to watch Barcelona. Uh, it's, um, it's not a stadium that the Barcelona fans are particularly enamoured of. Maybe they'll uh, turn out with, uh, with a few more numbers uh, as, the season, as the season progresses. Uh, we also saw Real Madrid uh, win 3-1 at Almeria in the magnificently named Power Horse Stadium. And... There were headlines. Once more, plenty of headlines for Jude Bellingham as he scored two more goals and got an assist. That's three goals in his first two games. I was actually doing the, uh, doing the maths and Jude Bellingham, uh, he scored three goals, league goals in 171 minutes. It took Luka Modric nine months to score three goals for Real Madrid. It took Tony Cross a year and a half to score three <laughs> league goals for Real Madrid. Maybe that's a bit disingenuous because Jude Bellingham is actually playing further forward. He's playing more of as a number 10 He's more, or sort of a false nine because Real Madrid don't have a central striker. So more often than not in those more advanced forward positions, it's Jude Bellingham who's the furthest forward. And his, his second goal was a really nice header in the, uh, in the penalty area. It was kind of a number nine position. So I think, and I've put it out on uh, social media and I'm sticking by this, Jude Bellingham's going to score 20 goals plus for Real Madrid uh, this season. Three down, 17 to go. I can see it happening uh, pretty easily. What I wanted to ask you guys is, given the amount of money that's being spent on uh, midfielders for teams in the Premier League, you know, Declan Rice and Moises Caicedo, Enzo Fernandez, doesn't Jude Bellingham seem like an absolute bargain for what Real Madrid paid for him? Yeah, I mean, it's scary to think what he... If a Premier League club had, if if the sort of auction had gone on there and it had really escalated, how much he could have gone for? I mean, he is just sensational, just just such a joy to watch. And and what what people really like about him here, um, Michael, is is you know he's to put it like you know in terms that maybe you know my mum might say he's a nicely he's a nice mm -hmm. young man he's a well brung up young man he's he's polite but he also gets it he's smart and he started putting out um, social media clips speaking in in Spanish you know not 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 huge sentences but he says you know Gran Victoria a la Madrid that goes a long way that goes yeah. a long way and the last British player that was signed by Real Madrid Gareth Bale did not do that kind of thing and it did not go down with a very demanding Real Madrid fans as about to say if you're going to go and you, you've got to understand the culture you've got to understand the history of the club you've got to understand the you know the the language uh he's not the first that did it I remember obviously David Beckham went over he embraced it I had one of my mates uh Michael Owen and Jonathan Woodgate went over there I don't I think Woody got it more than Michael Owen did I don't think Michael learnt the language didn't go down the very well. With Woody, he, he, he had a lot of time off because he was so was just, injured. So, here, so the, he, probably, he actually spoke quite good Spanish by the end, I think. Probably the worst debut in history. Yes. Of, you know what I mean? Absolute shocker. But, you know, <laughs> he embraced it and he, he absolutely loved it over there. Jude's doing all the right things. Like you see, he's, he's a smart kid. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a gent off the field and he's so mature for such a young man. And, you, you know, he's, he's obviously getting the right advice from his family, from his advisors and people around him. And I don't think it was going to be a problem for him to settle in because of the amount of games he played for Dortmund. You know, 92 goals, 12 goals in his career there. And to think that he was going to do something... I knew he was going to be a special player for them because he's just a class act. I've seen him for England and you're thinking, my word, we have an absolute diamond here. 
It's an absolute bargain that Real Madrid have got him. And now what you've found is he's able to play another position, which they probably didn't buy him for. And they've gone, my word, we've even got a versatile midfielder, which even makes him more valuable to Real Madrid. Uh, and I, I think when you, you know what you're talking about there, Phil, if he, if there was Premier League clubs that calling for him, I think he'd already had it in his mind that he was going to go to Real Madrid. I think that he'd had it nailed on for a while that this was going to happen. And I don't think anything would have turned... The only thing that would have turned the money would have been Dortmund saying, you're not going there, you're going here. But um, he's he's just a special player, a lovely kid. And the other thing, his brother, Joe Bellingham, is a fan in the northeast because Sunderland have got a player called Bellingham and he scored two goals for Sun this weekend. So both the Bellinghams are absolutely flying at their careers at this moment in time. Uh, you were desperate to get that in. So uh, we've got the mention <laughs> of Sunderland, uh, Sunderland in there as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, speaking about the, the, him potentially having gone to the Premier League, I think Real Madrid tend to get their man when they focus yeah. on a player. And I was told last year that, you know, they were going to go big for Jude Bellingham. It was a really big priority. Yeah. And in, they did go big. And once he knew that Real Madrid were interested, then I don't think there were too many other, other options. Unless, unless your name's Kylian Mbappe, people find it very difficult to turn down Real mm. Madrid. What, isn't, that a sad, isn't that a sad thing there? How can you turn down it? How can you turn them down? It's it's well, ridiculous. If you've got a contract, if you've got a contract, Michael, that entitles you to an incredible amount of money. If you stay for another year, then uh, it might be um, it might be more tempting. But yeah, I mean, I, don't, I didn't even want to get into the Mbappe saga. No, no, no. Finally, it it feels like it's finished. It feels like he's staying there, and. I don't know, man. Real Madrid are a very proud, proud club and they well, might feel mortally offended by this happening again. Mm, correct. But <laughs> I will tell it. you what, Real Madrid have pulled off a stroke of genius because Bellingham, I'm going to say it now, he will be one of the signings of the season in Europe, if not the world. There you go. I know we've seen a lot of players go to Saudi and they could have pulled off a few, few minor miracles, but this kid, for the price that they have got him for, when you compare like Declan Rice going there, Fernandez for 106 million, Casado 100 115. Wow, what a. I never thought I'd say it. It's a bargain for 86 million. There you go. <laughs> It's true, mm. though. It's true. I mean, uh, Real Madrid do tend to sign uh, uh, quite well. They sell quite well as well, so they get a lot of money for their uh, for their players. But in terms of Jude Bellingham, it feels strange to call someone a hundred million euro bargain. But he is. He has been. I mean, they did it with Cristiano Ronaldo as well. They bought him for a hundred million euros. He scored an unbelievable amount of goals for for, for nine years, and then they sold him for a hundred million euros. So that was pretty. That was pretty good business. But yeah, Bellingham uh, looks like one of the deals of the, uh, of, the of the of the summer uh, across Europe, Charlie. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and there is as you say so many obvious comparisons because central midfielders are just going it's it's weird this trend for and, and I guess that happens in football that you know positions are particularly fashionable at any given time but you know we've seen 100 million for Rice 100 million plus for Enzo Fernandez in January and then what was it close to 115 for Caicedo um, and you know we touched on Chelsea and the difficulties Caicedo had yesterday admittedly you know it's just one game Fernandez has been good, but I think I saw something. He's won four of his 24 games for Chelsea. Um, whereas, yeah, Bellingham just... So sometimes a player in a club just feels like a really natural fit very quickly. And I think we're seeing that with, with Bellingham and Real Madrid. Yeah, he's fitted in extremely well. Uh, the fans have very much taken to him. And, you know, long, long, long may it continue. It's always nice to see, uh, certainly from an English perspective, uh, players go abroad and triumph. And he did very well in Germany. And now he's doing extremely well at one of the biggest clubs uh, in the world. So uh, uh, Jude Bellingham uh, with three goals in two games, uh, making all the headlines uh, here in Spain. Um, that's... Um, 
That's just about all we've got time for on this edition of the Optusport Football Podcast. Before I go, after the success of the FIFA Women's World Cup on Optusport, the FA Women's Super League returns in October for what will be a massive campaign with no fewer than eight Matildas starring for English clubs. So uh, make sure you're, you're tuning in for that. Uh, my thanks to uh, Charlie and Michael for joining us here on the Optusport Football Podcast. Thanks to you guys, where you've, uh, you've been listening to uh, around the world. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 